This is the Saturday to Sunday Football Podcast. This is where it all counts. This is why we're here. This is why each one of us are here. And now, here's your host. Welcome back to another edition of the Saturday to Sunday Football Podcast. I am Paul Pertichese, and thank you for joining me as always. Week 13 of the college football season is in the books. I cannot believe there's only one real week left of the season. It's rivalry week before we turn the tables to the championship week. And I'm going to break down everything that I saw in week 13 of the college football season. Talk about some of the draft prospects in the NFL draft report. Talk about some underclassmen in the Debbie slant. And then take a look ahead to week 14, that rivalry week, couple monster games this weekend, a lot of prospects to really look forward to seeing their matchups. And then I will close out the episode with the NFL rookie report as we take back a little bit of a look at the NFL rookies from week 12 and talking about what I took notice of, talking about stock up, stock down, who I'd be looking to buy in terms of my dynasty leagues. And all that in between. As you can hear, I'm Ryan Solo again tonight. Uh, Matt, hopefully, uh, will be able to get back soon to the podcast. Uh, and if not, hopefully, I will uh, find some uh, guests to co-host with me so I could bounce ideas off of them, talk to them, get their takes. But again, uh, obviously, the holiday week here. Uh, but I did want to get something out prior to Thanksgiving uh, just to kind of share my thoughts and everything that I saw this week, uh, past weekend in the college football and the NFL season. So the latest playoff rankings, before we get into the NFL draft report, the latest playoff rankings were unveiled tonight. Ohio State jumped back up to the number one spot after their win this week over Penn State, LSU at number two, Clemson at number three, Georgia at four, Alabama at five, Utah at six, and then Oklahoma at seven. Listen, I get it why Ohio State leapfrogged LSU to take over that one spot. And even this week, Ohio State's got a big game coming up with Michigan. But I don't think LSU did anything to deserve really to lose. And I think their win against Alabama is still more impressive than anything Ohio State's done this year. But again, if LSU wins, beats Georgia in the SEC title game, I think they will catapult to that one spot uh, over Ohio State if both of them are undefeated. And the big thing is whoever is that one seed means that they don't have to play most likely Clemson in the first round. Because if Ohio State and LSU run the table and Clemson runs the table, those guys are clearly going to be the top three teams. So there is a little bit of a difference. Somebody might not say, well, what's the difference between one and two this year? I think avoiding Clemson is pretty substantial. So I do think that's something that is significant. We'll see who ends up being that four team anyway. Uh, If Georgia wins the SEC championship game, obviously they're in. If they lose, I think it's up for grabs. I truly do. I think Alabama could be in the mix. I think a team like Oklahoma could still be in the mix. I have a hard time seeing Utah, even though they're at six right now. I I don't envision Utah sneaking into that. So I would think it's probably either Alabama or Oklahoma if Georgia loses that uh, SEC championship game in a couple weeks. So it's going to be interesting down the home stretch here to kind of see what happens uh, with all of these teams and kind of see does – 
Clemson just continue to check boxes? Does LSU take care of business in the SEC title game? Does Ohio State get past? You know, if Ohio State was to lose to Michigan, I don't think it would be it for Ohio State. I think they would still have a good chance in making the playoff. But, you know, it's a loss late in the season. How does that shake things up? I think would be interesting. So not a lot to talk about in in terms of the playoff rankings, but I did want to at least share my thoughts on Ohio State leapfrogging LSU to take over that one spot. But I do think when push comes to shove, if they both run the table and go undefeated, I think LSU's body of work in terms of beating Alabama and then if they beat Georgia in the SEC title game, I think that will carry more weight than Ohio State's wins. And I do think LSU would leapfrog into that one spot. So I, I think this will be decided on the field. So I think right now it's just a little bit of a talking point uh, for this upcoming week. I don't think it's something that will have a lot of merit as the season unfolds because I do think LSU still will control their destiny in terms of being that overall one seed heading into the playoff. I think if Ohio State takes care of business, they're probably the two seed. Clemson the three, and then I think the fourth seed is really up for grabs. I see, I know people are going to be unhappy, but I do see a scenario where if Georgia loses in that SEC title game, I think Alabama still has a legitimate shot to sneak in there. I, I truly believe it. And then we could possibly get an LSU-Alabama rematch in the semifinals of the playoff, Ohio State-Clemson, and then go from there. So it, it's going to be interesting. I think Oklahoma's the wild card there, but I'm not sure Oklahoma's going to leapfrog uh, Alabama and, and Utah and those teams to get in there, uh, even if they do, you know, run the table and win the rest of their games. So it's gonna, it's gonna be interesting to follow. I do think it's something, you know, fun to talk about, but I do think it'll be settled on the football field. So let's take this to the NFL draft report for week 13. This is where we discuss a lot of the draft eligible prospects in terms of stock up, stock down, big picture in terms of their season and stuff like that. So let's start at the quarterback position. I want to start with Justin Herbert because I had an opportunity to watch some of that game against Arizona State. And, you know, Herbert really had an opportunity in that game. And I think Herbert coming down the stretch here had everything in front of him. The two injury uh, Jordan Love having some issues this season. Jacob Eason, while showing growth and improvement, still, you know, showing that he's got a little bit more development. I thought Herbert could have ran away with the top five, top 10 type pick status. And with the two injury, maybe even opened the door for him to be the second quarterback taken after Joe Burrow. And we've talked about Herbert on here. And for the most part, I think it's been a nondescript year. I, I didn't, I don't think it was anything that stood out dramatically positively or negatively. But then you you watch him play in this Arizona State game, and he was 20 of 36, 304 yards, two touchdowns, two interceptions. And he left me wanting a little bit more. <clears throat> it was something I often said last year when I would watch Jared Stidham earlier in, early in the year and then even before the season started for Auburn that he had all the tools, he had everything that you wanted, but then he just didn't – always show it all the time on the football field. I would watch a game of 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 Stidham and I would leave wanting a little bit more. <clears throat> I think Herbert has had that effect on people this year. I'm not saying I'm as there's some people, you know, people I respect tremendously who are not sure he's a top ten pick anymore. I still think he's got a good shot to go in the top ten. You know, we've seen Daniel Jones go in the top ten. We've seen other quarterbacks get pushed up. 
And maybe he doesn't profile as a true franchise quarterback, but I think he profiles as a starting quarterback, a guy who could be an above average starting quarterback to good. And I think if you can potentially profile to be an above average to good, potentially with some growth and development, I think you have a legitimate shot to be a top five, top 10 pick. There's a lot of teams that are in quarterback need. And with the two injury, who I still think is going to be a top 10 pick also. Uh, But Herbert is a guy who he had it in front of him there. Oregon had it in front of him there. They could have been the team that could have been legitimately in consideration for the playoff. And then they stubbed their toe against Arizona State. And Herbert just, you know, a game against Arizona State, you're looking for Herbert to complete 70, 75% of his passes, you know, play mistake-free football. And that, and it's not just not what you got. You saw glimpses of Herbert that makes him a special prospect. And then you saw some inconsistencies that – I think people would have liked to see him clean up by now. And every once in a while, you still question, I think, whether or not his game is going to automatically translate to be a high-level type player at the next level. I think he's going to end up being selected as that. I mean, we've seen Josh Allen. We've seen Daniel Jones the last two years both be taken inside the top 10. And I think Herbert, you know, has the skill set that at least warrants uh, being in that mix as well. So I think he'll end up that way. But I do think uh, this week was a, was a little bit of a down week for him. Uh, I think Herbert definitely needs to accept his invite to the Senior Bowl. I think that is where he can make a team fall in love with him. And I think he can re-elevate his stock. If it's taken a hit at all, I'm not sure it has. But in some eyes, maybe it has. I think he can re-elevate it. Uh, couple other guys, obviously Joe Burrow, 23 of 28, 327 yards and three touchdowns. I bring him up because, I mean, it's pretty much at this point now, I think it's almost signed, sealed, and delivered that, A, with the two injury, he's going to be the fourth, first quarterback taken. And with the Bengals now still at zero wins and the rest of the NFL at two wins, it sure sounds like Joe Burrow is going to be a member of the Cincinnati Bengals. I think it would be – Hard-pressed to see that change between now and then. Uh, and Burrow just keeps answering the call. Maybe something down the stretch can change people's minds on that. But I think Joe Burrow very much has the opportunity uh, to be selected first overall by the Cincinnati Bengals. Uh, and then it, it kind of opens up after there in terms of how these quarterbacks could come off the board uh, Burrow's growth and progress this year, his ability to navigate the pocket, keep his eyes downfield, I think have been really special. What he's uh, accomplished with his trio of wide receivers there has been very impressive. Uh, and I think the Bengals would not pass him up. I know Chase Young is a franchise-type pass rusher, but the Bengals definitely desperately need a quarterback upgrade and I think Joe Burrow, you know, is going to be the guy that ends up getting the call there uh, as the first overall pick. But after that, it, it, there's a lot of there's a lot up in the air still. I mean, we obviously the two injury adds some suspense there. I still think he ends up going top five or top ten, to be honest with you. Even if he's going to be out, even if he wasn't going to be ready for part of the year, I still think he could potentially be in the mix in the top five or top ten. I already talked about Herbert. Uh, other guys in the mix, Jordan Love this past week, 21 of 36, 229 yards, one touchdown, one interception. He has not had the statistical year. Jordan Love is going to be one of those guys that really, really has Twitter uh, debating 
because you're going to have the people who really look at the analytics and the statistics, and they're going to see a guy who just doesn't really have great statistics and analytics this year. Uh, but then you have the film guys who look at him and understand just how inferior of a supporting cast he has around him. I still like Jordan Love. He was a guy that when I watched in the summer, I was really impressed with what I saw from him. I don't think that skill has evaporated. I think part of it this year is that the cast around him has made it even harder for him to show that level. But I think you see glimpses of it here or there. And I think NFL teams are still going to be intrigued. I still think Jordan Love has a legitimate shot to go in the first round, possibly in the top 10, top 15 mix. But I think Love is, is in that mix there. Herbert, I think, is going to go ahead of him. But I think Love is not that far off from him. Uh, Jacob Eason, he's another wild card. Can he sneak into round one? Obviously, more of a traditional pocket passer, almost like in like a Drew Bledsoe type way. Big arm has shown some improvement in terms of his accuracy, but still got a lot to improve upon in terms of pocket awareness, decision-making. Uh, so Eason is a guy that is very toolsy, and we've always known that about Jacob Eason. So it'll be interesting to see what the NFL thinks of him. Does he go as high as he might? You know, some people might mock him in the top 10, top 20. But let's not forget, we also were mocking Drew Locke there last year. And then Drew Locke fell all the way into the 40s. So I could see that being one of the scenarios here that, you know, I, right now I think I like Drew Locke a little bit more than I like Jacob Eason. And I thought Drew Locke was going to be <clears throat> a first-round pick last year. But then he ended up falling into the second round. I wouldn't be stunned to see Eason do that. But I do think he's got enough skill that a team could gamble on him in round one if they wanted to. And then Jake from <clears> – <throat> This past week, only, uh, you know, 163 yards and the, t- and the touchdown. You know, Georgia got the big win this week, but Fromm still is one of those guys who the NFL is going to look at and they're going to be a little bit torn. People are going to look at the intangibles. I, I, I have a feeling from in the meetings and the whiteboard is probably going to come off very well. But you watch him play and it's hard not to just think, an average, you know, low-end starting quarterback, you know, game manager, guy that you're not going to feel confident in making him your franchise quarterback. Now, some might look different. I still think he's a second-round pick. I feel very similar about Jake Fromm as I did about Daniel Jones last year. And I think Daniel Jones had more raw tools and better athleticism and better overall arm talent than Jake Fromm. But Daniel Jones – was much more highly regarded in the NFL circles uh, than most of draft Twitter. Will from be that way as well? I don't know because I don't think, I think there are some legitimate questions about his arm talent and him to make NFL pros. And I think the more people really studied and analyzed Daniel Jones, I don't think that was in the NFL eyes as much of an issue as maybe some of draft Twitter had, but I do think it's more of an issue for Jake from to make some of those really out throws that you got to make, you know, across the field, uh, in the wind, into really tight coverage. I'm just not sure. To me, in the NFL, he kind of looks and feels like a West Coast-type quarterback, short to intermediate, keep the chains moving, and maybe it could be effective, but I'm not sure NFL teams are going to look at him and think that's a top 10 or top 15 guy. 
But we, like we've said, once these guys get into meeting rooms, the interview process, the intangibles, the whiteboard stuff goes a really, really long way in determining these guys, their stock, and what NFL teams think of these guys. So there was a little bit on the quarterbacks there. Uh, thought it was worth time talking about them a little bit deeper. If you take us to the running back position, uh, J.K. Dobbins this week in that big game against Penn State, 157 yards, two touchdowns. Anybody who was a little bit down on J.K. Dobbins before the year started early in the year, I think you need to go back and watch him. He's had a fantastic year. He runs tough. He can be an interior or exterior runner. He can run on the outside. He can run in space. He can run between the tackles. He can be an impact in the passing game. I think he is squarely in the mix as a round two selection. Uh, I think just the the nature of the position, the draft class, I don't think he goes in round one. I think if there's a running back in round one, I think it's DeAndre Swift that with an outside shot of Jonathan Taylor, you know, or maybe somebody else. But I think J.K. Dobbins then is right in the mix after uh, the top of the running back. So I think he'd probably be in tier two of this running back class. And I think I love his all-around skill set. I, I do that I think he stock has risen this year. And if Ohio state makes a run deep into the playoffs, I think his stock could even, even move higher than it is right now. He's not a burner. And I think that's okay. That's not some, that's not his calling card, but he's got the quickness. He's got acceleration. He's got bursts. He's got elusiveness and agility. He can run with power and finishing ability. I like his overall game. I already mentioned there, Deandre Swift, uh, he just continues to, for me, to separate himself from the rest of the running backs because when I watch him play, I think he could have an Alvin Kamara-like impact at the next level. So for that reason, I think he is that offensive chess piece that teams are craving at the next level. They see the impact of guys like Alvin Kamara, and I think DeAndre Swift is going to move himself to the head of the running back boards uh, and he's going to be the first one taken. I think he's got a legitimate shot to go in round one because of how many ways he could impact and be the offensive weapon that he is. Uh, so I think DeAndre Swift uh, is a guy whose arrow is is higher now than it even was before the season started. I think some people maybe thought round two before the year started. I think he's squarely in the in, in the round one mix. The Devi community has been very high on DeAndre Swift for a long time. I think this is one where the Debbie community has been right and has seen it correct the whole time with Swift. I think he's going round one. Uh, Jonathan Taylor, 222 yards and one touchdown, obviously an athletic freak for a man his size. Uh, he's going to be an interesting one in terms of how high he goes because he's very much, I feel like over the years we've had conversations that, you know, if, if we can, if they can redo it, I bet Jacksonville wouldn't take Lennon Fournette where they did. He doesn't impact the game like, you know, Christian McCaffrey, Saquon Barkley in his rookie year. Obviously, Barkley's having a little bit of a, uh, a down second year. But I think Jonathan Taylor is very much in that mix like a Leonard Fournette. He's more athletic than Leonard Fournette. Uh, but Leonard Fournette has shown more receiving capabilities this year than we've seen ever in the past. I think Jonathan Taylor has capabilities to be more of an impact in the receiving game. Not going to be a guy who's going to run a lot of routes per se, but can be a guy that can still be a check down option and be functional as Leonard Fournette has been this year for the, for the Jaguars. But, but what, it, where does he go in terms of the draft? Like what is his worth and value? And I'm not sure 
he's in the top 10 or top 15 mix. I think if Jonathan Taylor goes in round one, it's probably in the 20s, similar to where Josh Jacobs went last year. And I also wouldn't be stunned if he was to go in the early part of round two. Uh, it's just one of those things that running backs do usually get pushed down the board a little bit. So I can see that with Jonathan Taylor. Uh, Clyde Edwards Hilaire, I mean, he just keeps he just keeps wowing me more and more I watch him. He's a guy who will definitely be added to the Scotty Notebook soon. He's in the rankings notebook already. I mean, this past week, and I know LSU had an easy game, but six carries for 188 yards and three touchdowns, and then seven ca- catches for 65 yards. He is another guy. He's probably the best route runner of any of the running backs. You know, I would say DeAndre Swift is probably right up there too, but I think Clyde Edwards-Hilaire might even be better than him in terms of pure route running. The impact Clyde Edwards-Hilaire can make in a variety of ways is going to intrigue him. I know I've been saying round four. He keeps this up though. He might be, there might be a team in, in, in part of round three that is intrigued by him to pick him. So Clyde Edwards Hilaire, his stock just continues to rise. If LSU makes a run for the national championship, Edwards Hilaire is going to have a lot of big plays that I could see his stock even continuing to rise. And he might not even make it out of the top 100 when, when all said and done. Uh, Eno Benjamin is a guy I feel like we haven't talked about in a while. I bring him up this past week, 31 carries, 114 yards, chipped in with five catches as well. I think Benjamin hasn't had the monster statistical year that I think many were expecting, but I still think he's a very good running back prospect. I think he's very much in the day two mix. Uh, again, round two, round three, I'd probably say more round three right now uh, if I had to, but I can see him also being punishment. Uh, Again, not not elite speed, but he's fast enough. But he's got he's got good burst and acceleration. He's got quick feet. I love how how tough he runs. I've been saying for since the summer or even earlier that he reminds me a lot of Kareem Hunt. So I'm a fan of you know Benjamin's overall game. And then Zach Moss, obviously he's a guy that I continue to not be as high as the community, but just continues to do it. 203 yards, one touchdown. Again, I think more of a round four guy because his physical bruising type. Uh, I I think his lack of pass game work hurts him a little bit, but I think Moss is, has shown his durability coming back from this year and still handle, come back from another injury this year and heavy and handling the heavy workload. I think he's a guy that can handle a heavy workload, but I think his lack of pass game involvement plus his Injuries in the past limit him more as a day three guy than a, than a day two guy. So let's take this to some pass catchers uh, from this past week that stood out. First, I want to talk about KJ Hill. He only had four catches, 46 yards, and a touchdown. But it's been a couple of weeks since I brought up KJ Hill. And KJ Hill is going to be one of those guys who Terry McLaurin kind of came out of nowhere last year. Paris Campbell elevated his stock for about the year last year. I don't think anybody for most of the year last year looked at those guys as top 100 picks, both of them, and then they that's where they were. I think K.J. Hill could be in that same trajectory this year. I think most people look at K.J. Hill and they see a guy a little bit later in the draft, maybe around four, round five guy. I think if he tests well, he could be another guy that is a surprise top 100 pick. Uh, I like his overall skill set. Tyler Johnson, been talking about him a lot the last couple of weeks, continues to just get it done. Seven catches, 125 yards, and one touchdown. One of the best route runners in the class. Uh, again, a guy who I think is more of a round three, round four pick. 
uh, but a guy who I think has that inside outside versatility, uh, probably more of a Z possession style wide receiver at the next level, maybe even play some slot because he's, he's good route running. But I think Johnson is a guy who can be a really impactful player quickly at the NFL because I think his game translates very quickly because of his nuance in his route running and his refinement that he has already shown. Uh, Chase Claypool, another seven catches, 60 yards and a touchdown. I've been talking about him a lot. Mentioned him last week as a guy who accepted his senior bowl invite. I want to see Claypool in the pre-draft process and the testing process because if he tests out really well, I think he's another guy whose stock is rising, who could be in the top 100 mix. Uh, Every week we talk about Michael Pittman Jr. because we need to. This past week, 13 carries, 104 yards, and two touchdowns. He's on his way to the Senior Bowl. I think his game this year has really improved where – I thought he was a guy who was borderline round three, round four before the season started. Now I think he is squarely in the top 100 mix. I don't even think the late second round is out of consideration for him. I think he's going to test out better athletically than people think he is. He's got the ability to play on special teams. So I think Michael Pittman stock up on Michael Pittman. Uh, Jamon Osborne, nine catches, 96 yards, and one touchdown this past week. Uh, Osborne is a guy who it took him a little bit of a while. He was always in the eyes of the Devi community. But this year, I think he's kind of put it all together. Um, he's another guy who I think uh, is a guy who has a shot at the top 100, but I would say probably more of a round four guy. But I like his overall game. I like his physicality and toughness that he plays with. It and you see that physicality and toughness in his routes, during his routes, at the top of his routes. Uh, Osborne is a guy, I like his quickness. Uh, I like his ability to get in and out of breaks. Osborne is a guy who I'm a fan of his overall game. I know Matt is as well. Uh, Brandon Ayuk, let's talk about him a little bit. I know we mentioned him last week. Uh, seven catches this week, over 100 yards, two touchdowns. He's on his way to the Senior Bowl. Uh, Recently listened to Dane Brugler on the Prospect to Pros podcast, and he was talking a lot about Brandon Ayuk and just how highly regarded he is in terms of the NFL circles. Obviously, Dane has a lot of connections uh, with NFL scouts and teams, and he was saying there are people that have him uh, more highly rated and regarded than his former teammate, Nikhil Harry, that... Dane thinks he's probably a day two pick, round two pick, and not inconceivable that he could even push for round one. Like that, I I knew that he was a guy whose stock was on the rise. I still see more of a day two player. Uh, I like the comp that they'd made to an Emmanuel Sanders type player. I could totally see that uh, and, and, and see why he sees that. Uh, I think round one is a little bit too rich for my blood at the moment. Uh, I have to still dig deeper into his overall game. But when I've watched him play, I have walked away impressed. I was surprised to hear that the NFL scouting community is even higher on him uh, than, than maybe people thought. And that he legitimately, I thought maybe he was in the, on the round three, round four bubble. So to hear that he's basically in the day two mix locked and not inconceivable that he could be round one and that teams have higher grades on him than his former teammate, Nikhil Harry, was a little bit surprising. So I'm excited to kind of dig in a little bit more to his film uh, and see what I see. And then 
Two last names, Nico Collins. Sometimes he gets lost in the shuffle a little bit for Michigan. Diamond Peoples-Jones and Tariq Black were the two that came there with a lot more fanfare. But Collins deserves to be talked about as well. Uh, you know, Tariq Black's never really put together a great statistical year. Collins has, has, has put together a solid year this year. I think he's very much in the mix. I think he's a round four, round five guy. I don't think he's a top 100 guy. Uh, but this past week, an impressive performance. Excited to see uh, Michigan this pe- this upcoming weekend and see if Nico Collins and the rest of those guys uh, can make noise against Ohio State. And then LaVisca Chenault, a guy who is still in my top five wide receiver mix. Uh, his ability at the catch point to make things happen, I think, is special. He had a play this past week. If you have not seen the highlights, go watch it. I don't know how he came down with the ball. His ability to make plays after the catch are really special. Uh, so LaVisca Chenault is a guy who, again, a little bit out of sight, a little bit out of mind, hasn't put together the year. But I don't think that's going to hurt his overall draft stock. I think he's got a legitimate round one, round two type uh, grade. I think he's gonna. I think he's gonna go high. I think he's got a lot of refinement to do. But I think people are gonna be very intrigued by this skill set. Get him the ball in hands. Get the ball in his hands. Let him do things after the catch. Let him try to win at the catch point as he continues to round out and refine uh, his game. Learn a little bit more about the nuance of route running. But I think Chenault could be an impact player even as he learns to do that stuff as well. At the tight end position, Cole Komet. Uh, every week, I feel like I don't talk about tight ends too often on here, but when I am talking about draft eligible guys that stood out, it's usually Cole Komet. He's finally lived up to his upside and potential that I think he's got a shot to be in the top mix of tight ends, probably the top three or four tight ends taken. I think Cole Komet has put himself on that radar as a potential day two pick. Uh, Hunter Bryan is still my favorite in the class. Five catches, 82 yards. I think he could just be utilizing an Evan Ingram or Jordan Reed type way. Uh, but I don't think he's going round one. I think he's more of a somewhere in day two as well. I'm not sure we're going to have a round one tight end, to be honest with you. Uh, I think we're probably going to see a couple come off the board on day two and then a bunch on day three. So there it is, guys, the NFL draft report for week 13. Talked about a lot of different prospects there. Uh, hopefully uh, you found that informative. Uh, just kind of checking in on so many of the big names that we've talked about at times throughout the year. Uh, but sharing some more thoughts on them as well. If we take this to the week 13 Debbie slant, where we talk about a couple underclassmen, uh, first guy I want to talk about is Justin Fields. Obviously, Ohio State this past weekend with the win over Penn State. Uh, Fields in a big game upcoming this week against Michigan. But when you, when you watch Justin Fields play, I mean, it seems so natural for him. 16 of 22, 188 yards and two touchdowns, 68 yards rushing. I mean, we talked, I think it was last week or two weeks ago, that the floor between him and Trevor Lawrence now, the the disparity between them is closed. I think they're a 1A and a 1B for next year. It's Some teams are going to prefer Lawrence. Some teams are going to prefer Justin Fields. Uh, Justin Fields still very squarely in the Heisman mix, but I think that's probably Joe Burrow uh, coronation at this point. But I think Fields definitely will be or definitely deserves to be in New York City as one of the finalists. Uh, if LSU was to lose and Ohio State was to run the table and, and Fields put together a couple monster games, I don't think it's crazy that he could take it from him, but I think that would be hard-pressed at this point. But you just watch him play, and 
there's just something about him. I mean, this is a guy who didn't have any experience playing really prior to this year. And you watch him play and the moment never seems too big for Justin Fields. And that was what I would thought a lot about Trevor Lawrence last year when we saw Clemson win the national championship and, and the games that Clemson had. The moment never seemed too big for Trevor Lawrence. The moment never seems too big for Justin Fields. And he just continues to answer the bell. I know I say it all the time, but he, Georgia has to be watching him and and seeing what he's done and wonder if they would have just made the quarterback switch to him, you know, what would their season have looked like? I mean, right now Georgia's still in the mix to potentially make the playoff, but if Fields was their guy, I mean, are they undefeated right now? I, I don't think they lose to South Carolina if Justin Fields is the quarterback, to be honest with you. So, you know, it's going to be fun to see Justin Fields down the home stretch here, uh, see him in the playoff most likely, and see how he performs as an underclassman. But, I mean, he is one of – him and, and Trevor Lawrence are D2 underclassman quarterback prospects. If you can get your hands on your Debbie League, you want to get your hands on. Uh, at the wide receiver position, a couple other names that we just keep talking about because they just keep standing out. Rashad Bateman, uh, seven catches, 78 yards, and three touchdowns. I think the ceiling is just higher for Bateman than it is for Tyler Johnson. Uh, both really good prospects, but different type of prospects. I think Bateman is a guy who's going to be in the mix next year to be a top five, top uh, six wide receiver prospect. Uh, every week he just continues to uh, put up stats, put up production, show his ability to win at the catch point, show his athleticism. Uh, Bateman is a guy who is is probably, as in terms of underclassmen, probably in the top five or so guys who have improved their stock the most this year uh, during the college football season. The guy who's probably improved it the most is Jamar Chase. I mean, you can make the case right now he should be at near the top of any Debbie wide receiver rankings. Uh, last year at this time, I felt like the everybody was talking about Justin Ross and Rondell Moore, uh, and now Jamar Chase might push both of those guys down the pecking order in terms of 2021 wide receivers. And I think that it would be justified this past week, another 144 yards and two touchdowns. The connection and the chemistry him and Joe Burrow have is special. I mean, Jamar Chase, again, another guy, very natural out there, very fluid in terms of his movement, uh, good length, ability to go up and get the ball, his ball skills, his body control, his ability to adjust. Every single week, I, I walk away more and more impressed with him. Uh, another sophomore wide receiver we've been talking about a lot is Amon Ross St. Brown. You know, with Michael Pittman heading off to the NFL, with Tyler Vons probably uh, as well. You know, so it's going to open up the door for even more targets for St. Brown. He's such a good route runner for for underclassmen to be that good of a route runner, I think is special. So I think St. Brown is going to be a guy who is probably in my top five mix at the wide receiver position for next year, top five, top seven, somewhere there. And he's going to be one of those guys when I watch in the summer, I'm going to say, think to myself, he's one of the best route runners uh, at the wide receiver position for 2021. He's a very special prospect. Uh, next year's wide receiver class, similar to this year, is going to be really fun to dissect because you're basically going to have a little bit of everything. You want the precision in the nuance route running. You want the body control and the ball skills. You want the quickness and explosion. You want the, the big-bodied guy who can win at the catch point with physicality and toughness. 
you're going to have all of that next year, similar to this year as well. So there was just a couple guys there in the Debbie Slant I wanted to talk about for week 13. If we take this over to the tail of the tape, as we take a, a quick look at week 14 and the matchups, obviously week 14, uh, very fun week. You know, you have games from Thanksgiving night to games, a lot of games on Friday and then all games on Saturday as well. Uh, I have a handful. I have eight games that I have my eyes on this week. I think that's as met more than even usual. Uh, the first one, uh, Iowa and Nebraska might not seem like a lot, but I'm excited to watch Iowa and Nebraska. You have Nate Stanley, who still has some fans of him. People think he could sneak into the back end of the top 100. I think he deserves to be more of a day-free guy. Uh, but Stanley, uh, is a guy that still intrigues me. I still always want to watch more film on him, see if I'm missing something because there are a lot of respect people who have him a little bit higher and more highly regarded than I do on the Nebraska side. Obviously, Adrian Martinez, not a draft eligible prospect, but an underclassman to keep a close eye at the quarterback position. And then JD Spielman, I've talked about it. I think he's a more athletic version of Greg Dorch. I think he's a day three type player. Uh, can he break anything, get anything going against Iowa? Obviously the biggest game of the week is Ohio State, Michigan. I already talked about Justin Fields and how he's looked in big spots. I want to see it again in this game. I've already talked about J.K. Dobbins and and what I think about him. How does he get going against this tough Michigan defense? And then K.J. Hill. I Watch for K.J. Hill to make a big play or two in this game that I think uh, could go a long way in determining the final score. On the Michigan side, Shea Patterson is playing the best football of his career right now. He's a guy that Matt and I have never been able to quit on. I still like his raw talent. Uh, I think his ability to play off structure and off script is the things I like the most about him. They've opened it up a little bit more of late. Uh, so I'm interested to see how Patterson does against Ohio State. The the young running back, uh, Zach Jarbonet, want to see how he is in this game. Can he get anything going against Ohio State in that defense? And then the wide receivers, right? Talked about Nico Collins before. You know, Diamond Peoples Jones, Tariq Black, can those guys get going? Uh, fascinating game here. Obviously, I know we must talk offensive skill players, but also have my close eyes on Chase Young. He's going to be one of the top defensive prospects that we've seen in a long time coming out. So can he wreck the game uh, for Michigan? And and can Michigan find a way to slow him down at all to make sure he doesn't wreck the game for them? Clemson, South Carolina. Obviously, South Carolina, I'm, I'm looking for Brian Edwards again. Obviously, South Carolina had a big win early in the year against Georgia. Can they do it again against Clemson? I doubt it, but I want to see how Edwards does against that Clemson secondary. On the Clemson side, I already talked a little bit about Trevor Lawrence before. You know, does he keep it going? I feel like Clemson's starting to hit their stride here late in the year. So I'll have my eyes on Trevor Lawrence, on T. Higgins, on Justin Ross, and, and on Travis Etienne. I expect Etienne to be able to have a big game against the South Carolina defense. Uh, Alabama, Auburn, uh, so many guys I could talk about. How, how does now Jay Harris, who seems to be the focal point of the offense since two got injured, how does he look? I've already talked about him a lot recently. I'm a big fan of Najee Harris. Uh, how does Mac Jones handle this game on the road against Auburn's defense? Very tough spot. And then can his wide receivers help him out? I mean, all of them, Jalen Waddell, Jerry Judy, uh, Devonta Smith, Henry Ruggs. Uh, what kind of impact can they do for the, for the young quarterback there? Uh, these wide receivers on the Alabama side, they're, I'll just say this already. They're not going to look great in dominator rating and market share and stuff like that. And I'll say it again, don't care. 
If anybody wants to think that Jerry Judy is not going to be good in the NFL, I think you're wrong. I think you're wrong. And I think you are letting analytics and statistics weigh you too much. And I think you just got to watch with the naked eye and stop penalizing guys who play in offenses that are loaded with prospects. And because he doesn't have a certain market share or a certain dominator rating, hinder what he, who he is and what he is. Because if anybody thinks that he wouldn't have whatever the, the cutoff is uh, for market share or dominator rating, if you don't think he would have those numbers if he played on a, a different team where they didn't have four wide receivers, I, I think I think you're you're not looking at the big picture. I mean, I remember having conversations about this with Mike Williams and Corey Davis. And Corey Davis, you know, both of them haven't lived up to expectations yet. But, you know, people were like, oh, Mike Williams, you know, didn't do this, didn't do that. But if Mike Williams played for, you know, if played for Western Michigan, like Corey Davis, he wouldn't hit those numbers. And, you know, Corey Davis hit all those numbers and he's not finding success at the next level. You know, so again, analytics are useful. They're part of the process. But to knock guys because they just don't have the opportunity to get the market share and to show the dominator rating that some guys do, I, I just think is unfair and, and unjust, to be honest with you. Uh, I think the Alabama receivers are all going to be impactful at the next level. I think Jerry Judy is the best wide receiver in this class. Uh, I think he's the one who's going to come into the NFL and make the quickest impact, similar to what Calvin Ridley did two years ago. Uh, so I think Devonta Smith's going to have an impact. I think Jerry Judy's going to, I mean, I think, uh, Henry Ruggs is going to be an impactful player who goes a lot earlier than people think. And then Jalen Waddle next year as well. Uh, on the Auburn side of things, I'll have my eyes on Bo Nix. How does the young quarterback do against this Alabama defense and saving play calling? That's going to be interesting. Seth Williams, one of the top underclassmen wide receivers. Can he get things going against Alabama as well? Uh, Wisconsin-Minnesota is another game that intrigues me. From the Wisconsin side, obviously, Jonathan Taylor. We talked about him before. From the Minnesota side, we've talked about Bateman and Tyler Johnson. Can they keep it going uh, in this game as well? I expect them to, to look good. Texas A&M versus LSU on the Texas A&M side. Uh, Isaiah Spiller, the, the running back position, underclassman, see how he does in this game. I would expect LSU to be able to bottle him up. Uh, Jamon Osborne, we talked a little bit about that before. Can he get anything going? And Kellen Mond. On the LSU side, obviously Joe Burrow, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, and then keep an eye on all the wide receivers, Jefferson, uh, Chase, and Marshall there. I expect all of those guys to have an impact in that game. Uh, three guys we're going to be talking a lot about uh, you know, in the process. Or Chase, two guys who will probably be in the top 10, top 12. Chase probably at the top. Uh, Terrence Marshall a little bit further down, but still a highly regarded prospect himself in the top 100 mix when his time comes. So a lot of guys to watch there on the LSU side. Florida, Florida State, uh, as much as Florida State is down, still a fun game always to watch. On the Florida side, Michael P. Ryan talked a little bit about him last week, accepting his invite to the Senior Bowl, tough physical interior runner, be watching him. Uh, he should find success against this Florida State team. On the Florida State side, Tamari and Terry and Cam Akers. Interested to see about Terry as a redshirt sophomore if he declares and comes out early. Uh, Cam Akers, again, his versatility is dual set. Besides DeAndre Swift, besides Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, I think he's right up there as the most versatile back. He's right up there in the mix with those guys. So uh, can Akers get anything going against this tough Florida defense? And then Oklahoma versus Oklahoma State, obviously Jalen Hurts. 
C.D. Lamb. Uh, they should be able to put up big points. On the Oklahoma State side, uh, Trevor Hubbard, the redshirt sophomore, does he leave early coming off what might be a 2,000-yard season this year? I would think it's it would be smart for him to strike now, uh, but he'll be fun to watch this game nonetheless and see how Hubbard does against Oklahoma. That's, that's going to be a fun game. A lot of points going to be scored in that one. So let's close out the night with the NFL rookie report for Week 12. Let's start at the quarterback position. First off, I think we're inching closer to Drew Lock time. So if you're someone who doesn't have like deep rosters and you know, and Drew Lock's not on a, on a dynasty roster, go out and get him now. He's going to get an opportunity sooner rather than later to see uh, what he can bring to the table there. Uh, Dwayne Haskins, I mean, Washington, he got his first win this year, but man, I, I don't know. Again, I don't want to rush to judgment because the supporting cast is poor there. But I don't know if, if I just missed on Dwayne Haskins and, and a lot of people in the same boat. But you're starting to wonder if a little bit of his success in college was attributed to just how talented his supporting cast was, the scheme that he was in, and he was able to uh, he was able to uh, perform very highly in, in ask what he was asked to do. Uh, but right now at the NFL level, you know, I watched a lot of that game, and Dwayne Haskins is inaccuracy. His decision making, his progression reading is really poor. Like his accuracy was, he missed Terry McLaurin wide open in the end zone. He and this has been every time I've seen him play, I've been blown away with how poor his accuracy and his ball placement have been. His pocket awareness. Uh, so I mean, he had 156 yards this week, zero touchdowns, interception. 13 of 29. I don't know. I, I Again, I want to give every young quarterback the benefit of the doubt because it's such a hard position, but I didn't expect it to look this poor for Dwayne Haskins. You know, I, so it, it's a tough one right now. Uh, on the flip side, the guy who the Giants did end up taking over Dwayne Haskins, Daniel Jones, this past week, 21 of 36, 150 yards and two touchdowns. Listen, another fumble that it, that led to a touchdown for Chicago. Obviously, the fumbling issue is something that he needs to clean up. I think he's now got 14 fumbles. He's lost 10 of them. But, I mean, his interception numbers have are, are pretty low. He continues to show a little bit something this week. He had a couple nice runs where he shows his athleticism, his ability to get out of the pocket. His accuracy in ball placement, you know, is leaps and bounds ahead of Dwayne Haskins at the moment. His ability to push the ball vertically down the field is better than what people thought. Uh, so the ball security issue is a big one, and he has to have it fixed. But I think he, he – this is why I'm saying as much as I want to continue to give Dwayne Haskins the benefit of doubt, I watched the Giants lose every single week. I watched Daniel Jones put the ball on the ground and not protect it and lead to turnovers and touchdowns for the opposing defense. But I still walk away with every game and I see glimpses and I see moments of Daniel Jones doing something that really wows me, whether it's standing tall and tough in the pocket. And, and this past week he threw a touchdown on a fourth and like 16 with Khalil Mack barreling down about to level him. And he stood there in the pocket, took the hit and made a perfect throw to, to Golden Tate in the end zone, a play like that. There was other games that you see him throw a perfect out route, you know, on a rope 
right to the receiver. You see the ball placement, put it in a good position to lead his receivers. You see things like that. You see his athleticism, his ability to pick up yards and pick up first downs with his legs. So you see him go through progressions. He's got to speed up his internal clock a little bit. Yes. And I think that'll help in terms of protecting the football. I love I love his willingness and his toughness to stand tall in the pocket, but he's also got to make sure he's internally he has a clock processing things and realizing he can't take hit. He can't get stripped from the side and he's got to speed it up a little bit. And I think he can, but there's a little bit of something every single week that I walk away impressed. And I think the giants have found their long-term answer at the quarterback position uh, with Daniel Jones. Uh, If we take this to the running back position, a couple guys we haven't talked much about that need to be talked about. Benny Snell got an opportunity this week with James Conner injured, uh, Most people thought it was going to be Jalen Samuels. Instead, the heavy workload went to Benny Snell, 21 carries, 98 yards. Going to get an opportunity to probably carry the the load this weekend as well, a heavy workload. Uh, Benny Snell is who we we thought he was and who I thought he was. Tough, physical, interior runner. I thought Pittsburgh reached maybe a little bit for him, but but he's a a functional back at the next level. he can pick up the yards that are there. He can push the pile a little bit, tough physical runner. Uh, so keep an eye on Benny Snell. Again, I don't think his long-term value is all that high uh, because James Conner's there, Jan Samuels is there, and he doesn't do much in the past game. Quadra Allison got an opportunity uh, due to Brian Hill's ineffectiveness, eight carries, 20 yards, and a touchdown. I, I, I bring him up because there's a little bit of interest long-term with him because if Devontae Freeman was to leave – does Allison get a chance to be a part of the backfield in some capacity next year? They got a good quarterback, great receiving options. They're, they're going to put up points. So if Allison had any role week to week, uh, it could make him have some value in, in dynasty leagues. Uh, Devin Singletary went over a hundred yards this past week, probably looked the best he has on the crown. But again, this is something about Singletary because Josh Allen, Josh Allen is the, new cam newton which is means inside the five yard line he's the goal line runner so devin singletary has never been a guy who i thought was going to make a big impact passing game he's never a guy who i thought was going to be a tough physical interior runner and then you add him at the fact that he's on a team with josh allen who is great at running the quarterback sneak and stuff close to the goal line so i don't know what devin singletary's long-term value is to me, he's even if he holds the, the job, he's more of a low-end RB2, and that's saying that they don't go out and add anybody else to the mix, which I don't think is uh, still definite. I think it's definitely possible they could add a running back to the mix there that they think might be more of a pre-down, all-around skill set. So Singletary is a guy who I'd probably be selling still uh, if the price was right and people were willing you know, to pay an early round two rookie pick or even maybe a mid-round two rookie pick, uh, I probably would sell on that. David Montgomery, listen, I liked him coming out last year, but I had some questions about him. Those questions have been uh, – those questions have kind of uh, illuminated a little bit this year and been brought to the, the forefront. He His athleticism was questionable. He To me – he looks like a slightly better pass catching Jordan Howard and, you know, a little bit more athleticism and, and, and quickness, a little bit more in the receiving game than Jordan Howard, but 
there were some people that were really high on him. I, I'm not sure. Like to me, Josh Jacobs had a clear distinction uh, over David Montgomery. While some people preferred Montgomery, for me, it was Josh Jacobs and then Miles Sanders. I think David Montgomery could be a good functional running back in the NFL, similar to a Jordan Howard type, similar to when Jay Ajayi was healthy. I think that's who David Montgomery could be. I just, I know Matt and I a couple of weeks ago were playing the game of would you rather have this guy or 2020 first run rookie pick? And I think Matt said he was still on the side of David Montgomery. I am a hundred percent on the side of give me the, the 2020 first round rookie pick over David Montgomery. I think he's always going to have another guy in the mix there. I think they've been using Tariq Cohen more lately, and I think that's beneficial to them. Uh, but if it's not Tariq Cohen even down the line, I think it'll always be somebody else. Uh, a, a little bit more explosion, a little bit more elusiveness, agility, breakaway speed that Montgomery doesn't have. Uh, the tight end position, I mentioned it a while ago. I'll say it again. Try to get TJ Hawkinson right after the season, or if you still have trades open, try to get him now because he, his owner's probably frustrated. Maybe his owner took him as best player available, but has another tight end that they're comfortable on their dynasty rosters. You still want Hawkinson over any tight end in this class. So if you need a tight end, it's not going to be a strong group this year. And you're probably not going to want to take one until round three of a rookie draft, maybe in a perfect landing spot somewhere in round two, you start thinking about it. But I would try to offer a round I would start with a mid-round two rookie pick and see if that gets the job done for Hawkinson. Maybe I'd even push to early round two. I know it's a little bit of a leap of faith, but I still believe in Hawkinson and think he's going to show progress and development next year and be an impactful player uh, for the long haul in, in terms of fantasy football. At the wide receiver position, a couple things. Uh, Terry McLaurin, I don't know when he's going to get consistent quarterback play. It could be a while if Dwayne Haskins doesn't show anything, but Terry McLaurin is going to be a flat out star in this league and, and a stud. Uh, his ability to create separation and, and get open it seems very easy and very natural for a rookie wide receiver. So I would check in with the Terry McLaurin owner in most of your leagues. Uh, if he's not being valued properly, and I mentioned this a couple weeks ago, that if Dwayne Haskins kind of kills Terry McLaurin's fancy value down the stretch here, I would try to use it as a buy window for Terry McLaurin. And if you can get him for a mid to late round two rookie pick, especially if he closes out the year poorly, I think that's a win for you uh, in terms of your dynasty league. Uh, Marquise Brown had two touchdowns with Lamar Jackson. I mean, Lamar Jackson's just playing at a different level right now than anybody. Uh, so Marquise Brown is somebody I'd want to invest in. I mentioned two weeks ago with Matt that Marquise Brown is a guy that I wouldn't probably trade for a first-round 2020 rookie pick if it's towards the back end of round one. I'd rather be in the Marquise Brown business with Lamar Jackson there for the long haul. Uh, A.J. Brown, four catches, 135 yards, and one touchdown. Uh, A.J. Brown, man, I look forward to the day where A.J. Brown uh, gets more of an opportunity, more of a target share, because he, I think he's going to be a special player. He was my number one wide receiver, followed by Marquise Brown in this class and, and Calvin Harmon. Those are my top three. Speaking of Calvin Harmon, uh, it's nice to see him move into the starting lineup and see if he could be one of those late round guys that materializes. He's doing things that I thought he could use his body to create space at the catch point, uh, savvy route runner, all that. Uh, so it's nice to see that, but going back to AJ Brown, 
it's nice sometimes when things that we talk about a player, I, I happen to come across something on Twitter where me, Matt, and uh, Jason DiRenzo from uh, Devi Watch were talking about A.J. Brown uh, prior to his last season in college football. And there were whispers out there that his film wasn't all that great. And I said, man, if, if you just watch him, though, he's very skilled at what he does. And his game translates, his physicality, his toughness. If you know who he is and how to utilize him, I think he's going to translate. And I, I mentioned uh, Juju Smith as the guy who I thought he comped well to. And I, and I think that's, I think we're seeing parts of AJ Brown this year similar to what we saw with Juju Smith, his rookie season in the NFL. Maybe not the consistency that Juju had, but AJ Brown has showed glimpses. His ability to make plays after the catch, I think, is fantastic. It's a combination of his physicality, toughness, and his play speed, not his time speed, more is, I think his play speed is faster than even his time speed. But it's nice when you go back and look at some of these conversations and and you talk about guys and the impact they could have. I mean, this was before he even had his last college season at Ole Miss. And a lot of things that we were talking about of how he could impact the next level, we're seeing it now. You know, you look back at, at that conversation, which was, you know, over a year old, you know, a year and a half old, basically. And a lot of what we thought about A.J. Brown prior to his last season at Ole Miss is coming to fruition now at the NFL level. So it's nice when we see a player and what he, what we think he can materialize and develop into, and it ends up happening down the line. Uh, it's always fun. Uh, Debo Samuel, another guy that was actually in that conversation uh, in terms of how skilled he was. And I basically said, if you like D.J. Moore, you should love Debo Samuel, his versatility, his toughness, his inside-outside capabilities, his playmaking ability with the ball in his hands. I mean, look at the breakout year DJ Moore has had this year, and then look at the look at the rookie season Debo Samuel's putting together. I think Debo Samuel's sky is 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 up. I would be buying him. I'd probably rather him than a late round one rookie pick because I do think him, Marquise Brown, and AJ Brown. Post-draft, they were my top three wide receivers. Uh, and then Nicole Harmon was in that mix too. Uh, pre-draft, like I said before, AJ was one, Marquise was two, uh, Calvin Harmon was three, and Debo Samuel was four. And they are all have stepped into the NFL and their transition has been seamless for some of these guys. And I think their arrow to have breakout second seasons is, is there. I think if AJ Brown gets a larger target share, you could be seeing a wide receiver two, three for fantasy consistent one. Uh, I think Debo Samuel could be in that mix too. Wide receiver two, three, if he becomes, you know, one of the focal points of that San Francisco pass offense moving forward. And then Marquise Brown, I think is definitely going to be in that mix as well. So a lot of, a lot of guys who are, who are panning out. Nikhil Harry this week got his biggest opportunity with the Patriots with injuries to Philip Dorsett and Mohamed Sanu. He had one catch, 10 yards and a touchdown. It was a beautiful, uh, a be- beautiful end zone touchdown where he adjusted his body on a back shoulder bro, came back, caught the ball really nice, but, you watch Nikhil Harry play, he had some drops, he had some route running issues. Uh, I still have my questions on Nikhil Harry. I know last year that was a big discussion point in the pre-draft months of just how high people were on Nikhil Harry. I thought the Patriots overdrafted him a little bit. I watch every time I watch the Patriots, whether it was, you know, I walk away more impressed with Jacoby Myers than I do Nikhil Harry. And that's not to say that I'd rather have Nikhil Harry 
I mean, Jacoby Myers over Nikhil Harry because draft capital matters and Nikhil Harry's going to get every opportunity to become a starter there. But Jacoby Myers is a really good route runner. If you have room on the bottom of your dynasty rosters, I would try to get Jacoby Myers on your rosters now uh, and, and see what happens in the future there with that Patriots wide receiver group. So there it is, guys, the Week 12 NFL Rookie Report. Guys, if, if you're enjoying the content that uh, myself and Matt are providing or what we do on Twitter, the podcast, please get over to the website, ssfootball.com, and check out the premium content tab and our premium notebooks it really is the lifeblood of our show uh we don't have any other way to really support the show uh you know in terms of any donations or anything like that so we want to try to give you something and for 9.99 you really do get a lot so if you're a fan of the podcast we greatly encourage you to maybe check it out and 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 purchase it for 9.99 it really does help us in terms of continuing to do what we're doing here in this little niche area you know for the nfl draft for the devi uh fans out there uh you know and it's important for us uh to get people to be interested in the notebooks and and for those sales to continue to go up so if you're interested if you like our product uh and what we provide on the podcast please get over to the website uh, check out what you get. You get all four notebooks for nine ninety nine: the scouting notebook, the rankings notebook, the freshman notebook, and the NFL draft projections notebook down the line, uh, late March to mid-April on those. The other two you get access to immediately. If you can't purchase the notebooks, at least wherever you listen to the podcast, please rate, review, and subscribe. That helps us out as well. Uh, so there it is, guys. I can't believe where we are already. I can't believe this is the last full week of college football before championship week in terms of the conference championship games. I can't believe we're already approaching week 13 of the NFL season. I feel like we were just breaking down and talking about these guys in the summer. So it's crazy. Uh, I will be back next week to break it all down with you. Uh, If Matt is not able to be back next week, I will try to bring a guest on next week. Uh, I had a guest lined up this week, but I just felt for So maybe next week uh, he can pop on uh, and and we'll, uh, we'll get it. Uh, some other thoughts and comments in here to bounce ideas off of as well. Uh, so on behalf of Matt, on behalf of our sound tech engineer, David Nakano and myself, we hope you have a great and happy Thanksgiving. And we hopefully next week you let us take you from Saturday to Sunday.